0: plenty of opportunity uh, after the service. I hope you don't have to dash off because we can have some coffee and tea and continue chatting. Let's just pray for the boys and girls and young people in their groups and for ourselves uh, as we come to God's word. Father in heaven, we thank you that you're a God who speaks. You speak into our lives. You're a God as we've just been singing who is not far from any one of us and you long for us to reach out and find you and we pray Lord that today we may know that to be true in our experience and we pray that for the boys and girls and young people in their groups now Lord we pray that uh, we may know what it is to draw near to you and 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 know that your loving presence coming towards us as well so we pray in Jesus name amen amen so we're um It looks a bit small, I'm sorry about that. So we're, we're in, uh, thinking uh, for a few weeks about the core values uh, at Portswood Church here. It's something we, it's good to remind ourselves of every now and then. Uh, and core values are, are things that really matter to us as a church family. And, and things that kind of, are, in one sense, are, are meant to be kind of running through everything we do. We saw that picture that last week. So I, I, I can't. Yeah. So I haven't put the attribute because it was on last week, Dan. You know. So it's okay. I think. Anyway, uh, this is a, a, a copyright-free image that I'm using here today, and um, it's uh, yeah. The, the, the core values are, are like you know they they need to go through everything we do. So if you cut a piece of Portswood Church uh, somewhere along its activities, uh, not necessarily a person, that wouldn't be a very nice thing to do. But you know, you, you hopefully would see these these things that are, are matter to us, kind of evident in all that we do. We want to celebrate these values. We're not ashamed of them. Um, we don't want to hide them. <laughs> we want to be very open about them. Um, if you're looking into church and being part of the church family here, well, there's no point you know, having it like a financial document with small print at the bottom that you don't realize until you're in some kind of trouble with it. So we want to be very open. And there are five core values here at Portswood. Uh, and as they say on all the best reality shows, they appear on our, on our program and uh, on the website in no particular order. Good. Some of you watch TV on Saturday nights, I see. Anyway, so, so uh, except really in one sense, the, the first one, the one we looked at last week, which was Jesus being central to all that we do, that is really the first one. And everything else kind of flows out of that, as we shall see. That's why in that sense, that value is right up there on the wall. I hope you can read it. It says, Jesus Christ is Lord. That is our basic core value for everything, as Dan uh, uh, led us through last week. And that, on the wall, is, comes from where? Where does it come from? It comes from the Bible, from Philippians 2. So actually, that brings us to today's value, which we're thinking about, uh, which is really about that what we do, everything we do, everything we learn, is based on the Bible. It's Bible-based, Bible-based living and learning. That's important to us. It's important for, for us to know that. Now, now, why is that? Why are we Bible-based? It's important to know why about things, isn't it? Not just to make assumptions. Not, you know, not just to take things for granted. Or, or just to do things because we kind of do them. Because we might miss something. If you just can't do things because you did. Let me tell you a story. It's not true. Well, it might be. Uh, It's based on something I heard once of a man who did this for a different reason. But here's a man who knows he needs to eat, like all of us. We know we need to eat, don't we? Uh, We need to eat to stay alive. And he's got hold of that fact. And so because he's eating to stay alive, he eats the same thing for every meal. Beans. Baked beans, let's say economy beans, Heinz beans, Sainsbury beans, whatever. Baked beans is what he eats. Now this is where the truth part comes. I did hear some a man talking about how he lived on baked beans alone for a whole year, lost a lot of weight, didn't die, remained healthy. So that's I don't recommend that. Don't try that at home. But anyway, imagine here's this man. He only eats baked beans, and you meet him uh, and you find out about this, and and you you say to him, look, it's great. You don't don't you know that. Uh, eating is more than staying alive beans are great but um there's lots you could do with them you could put them on toast you could have them in a potato you could include them in some other delicacy you could have them with hp sauce sometimes or tomato sauce you could you could riff off that and and hey do you know what there are other things you can eat you know, you can have uh, pulses and, and meat and fish and, and you can make, as John uh, John on Chef said, some things that are really lovely, lovely things, okay? And then he says, yeah, that's good, and, and he does that. And he realizes that there's more to it than just eating to stay alive. And, he, you know, he, and you meet him a bit later, and he said, that's great, I didn't know that. And then you say, well, when do you eat? He said, well, I always go home and I open my cupboard and I cook my stuff, and you say, well, do, do you realize that actually eating can be more than staying alive? It can be more than eating. eating. You can eat with other people. It's great. Oh, can you? says, I'll do that. And you see him again. And he says, wow, I never knew there was so much more in it, in this eating to stay alive business. Now, I think we can be a bit like that with being Bible-based. We kind of do it to stay alive. And we, we, we kind of neglect all that there might be. A lot of things about Christianity can be treated in that way. So why are we so keen to be Bible-based? Well, it flows out of this truth that Jesus is central. Jesus, who in his coming into the world makes God known to us. Jesus, who in his life and death and resurrection brings us to God. He's the center. He's the one who said this. I am the way, he says in John's gospel. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus, the center of how we come to know God and how we get to, get to find God for ourselves, as it were, or God finds us. Jesus, who, who fills the church, fills his people with his presence by the Holy Spirit and continues to work in doing all kinds of things. That Jesus, as we heard last week, is the center of everything. It really is about him. And that is the main thing. So why are we keen to be Bible-based? Because it's Jesus is central. We start with him. What does he think about the Bible? What does he say about its role? He's the center. He's the, the one uh, kind of in the middle of it all. Has he said anything about it? He's the Lord. So what does he say? Well, let's go have a look at that for a few minutes. And the first thing I wanted to notice is that Jesus affirms The Old Testament scripture as God's word. That's what Jesus thought of it. Jesus grew up in a culture which had the Jewish scriptures, what we have as the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi. He would have known it, lots of it, by heart. He grew up understanding it. That was part of their culture. So how does Jesus regard it? I want you to take you to a couple of examples because they are quite interesting. The first one is in Matthew chapter 19. It's coming up on the screen, but you can turn to it if you want to. It's on page 986. Here it is, Matthew chapter 19. In, in verse 3, he says, um, actually I'll give you a bit more than on the screen. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together let man not separate. So here's a question about divorce for any reason at all. And the Pharisees, the religious police, kind of come up to Jesus and ask him this question. And Jesus refers back to Genesis chapter 2, the very first book of the Old Testament. And he points out that the Creator made them male and female. That's what it says in Genesis. Then he says something interesting. The Creator made them female and said, the Creator said, says Jesus... Now, if you look at Genesis 2, the words, the two will be united to a wife, etc., become one flesh, is not what the narrator says. That's not what, what uh, sorry, the, the, the words are not in the words of God in Genesis 2. It's not, Genesis 2 doesn't say, God said so and so and so and so, you know, and cue sound effects, etc. The person who's, who's, who's telling the story of Genesis says, and God, and God, and uh, for this reason, they'll do that. And Jesus says, that's God speaking. See what Jesus is saying there? He's saying that these words are God's words. Now that's interesting. I'm not going into this, but it's very interesting in the current debates about marriage, isn't it? Jesus claims, actually, that the Genesis position on male and female marriage is God's word. Now that's a complicated thing and there's a lot more we could say about that, so please don't be offended. But that's what Jesus says there. can't seem to me to deny that. Not only does Jesus um, affirm scripture as God's word, Jesus actually also connects the scriptures with himself. Here's a, here's a time statement he makes in uh, John chapter 5. He says to, again, the Pharisees, he says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me To have life. That's what Jesus is saying about the Old Testament. They're pointing to him, he says. And you can have life from me. And he's saying to the Pharisees, your problem is you're looking in the wrong place. I'm here. You can have what I'm offering. But the point is, the Bible, he says, the Old Testament is pointing to him. More than that, Jesus also saw his own teaching... As the word of God, remember in the parable of the sower, he tells this parable. The plant seeds are planted, and Jesus, when he explains it, says the seed is the word. When Jesus preached and teached, uh, taught, rather and did things around Galilee, it was described as bringing the word of God. That's what was described. So that was uh, and on an occasion when Jesus uh, later is praying for his disciples, looking back on all that he's done for them. Just before the cross, he says, I have given them, the disciples, your word. So Jesus is saying that, that his teaching is the word of God. And the rest of the New Testament goes on to underline that. The good news, the gospel, is seen to be God's word. It has authority. It's seen in the same way as the Old Testament Scriptures. Here's an example of that. Here's a a verse. This is Paul writing in 1 Timothy. And uh, it's a verse all about elders. And the key thing is this. You see, he says, For Scripture says, he's quoting Scripture there. That's the Old Testament. Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. The only point I want to make about this is... The muzzle and ox comes from the Old Testament, that statement. Do you know where the other statement comes from? It comes from the teaching of Jesus. One of the parables, he says, the worker deserves to be paid. And here, Paul, just a few years after Jesus uh, was, uh, died and risen from the dead, is saying, Jesus' words are scripture. The word of God, and if you want to follow it through in another part of the Bible, one of the other New Testament writers in two Peter three, actually Peter, talks about the apostle paul 's writings and calls them scripture okay, so that 's why why does it matter well it 's good to know why we do things isn 't it? but more than that, and I want to drive us this really uh, clearly, I hope. More than that, it's important to know that that what we believe, this value, everything we do as Christians, is not just academic, it's not just about a book or what's written in a book or a set of ideas that may or may not be true, we believe they are true of course, but, but it all comes from a person, the person of Jesus. That's the key point. He's there at the center of everything. We are not, uh, like Muslims, people of the book first. Don't get me wrong on that. We are people of the book, but first we are the people of Jesus. And what we believe is based on a real Jesus who said real things, who did real things, where there's evidence in history, and who really rose from the dead. And who really is working in people's lives today. You could ask Howard and Suzanne about that if you want to know about it. It's what we sang about. So we're talking about a real person. Real historical events. Things Jesus did, things Jesus said, which kind of tapped into the stream of God's activity in speaking and revealing himself to to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Jesus is completing all that God has said He's the final word, the Bible says. God has spoken finally in Jesus. That's the key, completing it all. And when he was on this earth, he was completing all that had come before and at the very core of all that's going to happen next, as we saw last week. And as Jesus' people, we come to the Bible as he did And that's why the Bible, or or being Bible-based, is a core value for us, because it was for Jesus. That's why. Not because we, you know, like reading books or something like that. That's where it comes from. I think this is really important. The Bible points to him. That's why we're Bible-based. But what's the point of being Bible-based, then, really? Really? I suppose I was um, tempted to go off on what you know, has being Bible-based ever done for us? And I'm not you know, kind of commending that film. I've not seen it. You, you've, you, know, you know the sketch. You know, what have the Romans ever done for us? And everybody thinks, well, no, they, they haven't done anything. And then suddenly they realize, well, if they did this and they did, that, and they did that, and that's how the whole com- comedy works in that particular film. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry. But the point is, often our default mode about being Bible-based is negative. Bit like the Romans, oh, what the Romans ever that kind of thing, till we start thinking about it. Because lots of us have all kinds of negative stuff about people who appear to take the Bible seriously. Lots of writers have written. I mean, I suppose one of the most well-known ones is is Jeanette Winterton, who, in her 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 book *Orange Is Not the Only Fruit*, kind of described her whole kind of uh, just the destruction of her life by these 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 parents she had or this mother who who was so fanatical about the bible that kind of destroyed her creativity and locked her up and you know some just terrible things have happened and we often think of bible-based people as being like (laughs) being like that you know complete weirdos a bit like as it were the christian taliban if you if you if you like um see where i'm going here weirdos and so it's easy for us to be a bit embarrassed about being Bible-based because we think of these stories and these images and stuff. You know, what's the Bible for? Is the Bible really about very weird science? Or is it there to take us into strange kind of behaviors that, that you know, destroy ourselves and one another? If I follow Jesus, do I have to become like one of these you know, weird, scary, strange people that I read about in books and whatever? I may even know some of them. Is that it? Well, actually, the Bible does a lot for us and it—you know there's some tremendously positive things. These things are not the whole picture at all. So let's see what the Bible actually says about that. This is in 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 to 16. See what it says. As for you, says Paul, writing to a friend of his called Timothy, you continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, Because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is on page 1197, if you want to look at it in the Bible. Think about that for a moment or two. Interesting, isn't it, that this, uh, this man, Timothy, had known about the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, from his infancy. That's why these kids are out the back <laughs> and up the, up the top. It, you know, It's important we can be helped and blessed by getting hold of Bible truth right when we're children. That's just by the way. What do the Scriptures do then? What does it say they do there? What's the point of them? They are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. The scriptures are there to help us towards salvation. Help us to know God for ourselves. Help us to know the rescue that God promises. So the the scriptures are not to teach us science. They're not to teach us history in the way we, we think of it as journalism or documentary material. They're doing something different. They're there to teach us about salvation, to, give us being, to help us to be wise to salvation. As Jesus himself said, remember what he said earlier? They point to me and I give you life. And then it goes on to talk about how it all works. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You're not going to detail here, but look what it says God breathes, it's from God. There's life in God's Word. That word breath in Hebrew and Greek have the same word as spirit. And, and what the, this, this is telling us is that there's a kind of ongoing life in God's Word. The Holy Spirit works through God's Word, through the Bible. So we learn from there, Paul says, it's good for teaching. We need to learn stuff, but it also challenges our lives. See there? It talks about rebuking. Sometimes, you know our lines are out of our lives, are a bit out of line, and, and, and we read the, the Bible, "Oh, but that, that needs to change." It also goes on to say what? That um, where they don't match up, we start off in a new direction. That's how we begin the Christian life by starting off in a new direction. You see, by by kind of correcting and training in righteousness. It's a process of learning that brings change. It's truth that's alive. God's works through his spirit, by his word changing us. It says we're equipped for every good work. So part of being Bible-based is to kind of equip us for what God wants us to do a 007 film coming out is it this week or next week you know when he goes on a mission he gets equipment you know some of it's uh, for killing people so they better not go with the analogy there too far but you know what i mean it's equipping you know and and we're like christians on mission uh, as it were we we're serving our king jesus and we don't have stuff to you know do terrible things to people but the bible equips us helps us trains us get us in the right place that's the point of being bible-based We find salvation. We get life from the word. We're changed through the word of God by his spirit as God works in our lives. But how does that actually happen? How does it happen? I want us to look at briefly just in the last few minutes I've got. Take two working examples. The first one comes from the Old Testament It's called Food for Our Souls. You've got a Bible in front of you. So how about looking with me at Isaiah 55 or following it. It's on page 742. In in this passage, God is speaking to his people, Israel, way back in history. Uh, They're at a point where they're far from him. And he's inviting them to come back home. It's apart a, it's a from any, if you're not a Christian and you find all of this kind of woo, this is fantastic poetry, whether you believe it or not. This is a fantastic piece of writing I'm going to read to you here. So just, just open yourself up for it, even at that level. Isaiah 55. At verses one to three come all you are who are thirsty come to the waters and you who have no money come buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money without cost why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy listen listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. give ear and come to me hear me That your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Let's pause there. It's great words, isn't it? Could have been written for the 21st century. So many of us are hungry, empty, dried up. Mortgaged not just financially above our limits, but emotionally, spiritually, owing huge debts not sure how we're going to pay not sure how we're going to survive out into that comes God's word come all who are thirsty there's a tremendous invitation to be satisfied for those who are hungry and empty to come home to God to get what you really need from him and how do we get this food from him well did you notice it's all about listening says, listen, listen to me again, he says, and that's how you eat what is good. Give ear and come to me, hear me. See, God is saying, listen to me. This is what my word can bring into your life. or well, this is what I can bring, says God, if you listen to me. God is offering to come and give us something we can't get for ourselves. Look at verse 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. He is near. He can be found. So close, he says. If we turn to him, leaving our sin behind us, we can have forgiveness. We can know mercy, we can know pardon, as well as all the other things already promised in this poem. Look at verse 8. Again, the words of God. The, uh, the prophet Isaiah is writing and he has this sense that this is what God himself is saying. So he writes it in There's this, words from God. Verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands and so on. So much I could say, but I just want to pick up these headline points really. So God is there, he's close, he can be found. But then, kind of paradoxically, he talks about there being a a, a kind of a gap, a distance between heaven and earth, between his thoughts and our thoughts, his ways and our ways. And God says, just like the distance between the earth and the heavens, the earth and the sky, it can be bridged. Something comes down from the sky to the earth despite the great distance says the poet what is it it's precipitation as they say it's snow and rain it comes down from the sky as it were and comes down to the earth and it does things and god says you know although there's this enormous kind of gap in one sense between god and us he says my word is like the the rain that the snow that can come down it's a great picture uh, of, of how being, if you like, Bible-based and responsive to God through his word brings us his, his peace, his transformation. And verse 12, look at the transformation. He says, you know, he's talking, uh, this word came to people who were in exile. They were locked up in Babylon at the time, God's people, the Israelites. And Isaiah prophesied to them. And so verse uh, 12, he says, instead of being like that, you're going to be released you go out with joy, and so on, and so forth, and that did actually happen uh, in history. But it's about more than just a kind of them getting released. So much more that kind of speaks to us. So we hear God's word when we find God's king. Did you notice that about David? I'll make you a promise about David. I read over some of those verses because of time. But we see that Isaiah promises a king, David. David was their king, their best ever king. You know what Jesus was called when he was born? You know, go to the carol service this year, listen to the readings of Luke. What was Mary told about Jesus? He was the son of David. He's, he's gonna, and and remember, remember, Mary was told, you must have heard the Christmas readings hundreds of times. He's gonna, he, God will give him the throne of his father, David. When Jesus went around saying to people, you know, healing people, what did people shout out when they wanted to grab his attention? Do you remember what they used to say? Son of David, have mercy on me. Isaiah is promising this king. A champion who we follow across the world. All this comes from God speaking. So we need to listen. That's why the Bible matters. We meet God there. We learn. We grow. We get life. We get purpose. Jesus was under great pressure once and quoted the Old Testament scriptures. Remember what he said? It's up there. Man, women, human beings shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this is individual sense in which we can be bible-based and find God through his word by the spirit. There's more I could say, but I'm not going to because I think it's time to stop. But you could later, I think we'll do this in house groups this week. If you look into the New Testament, in Colossians chapter 3, there's a whole passage about how the, uh, I'll go on, that's it. Let's go on to this bit, yeah. Uh, There's a whole passage about how we need to live different kind of lives in community as God's people. and I'll do the house group notes on this bit. So go to house group you can talk about this how do we do that together and Paul in Colossians says there are two resources: the peace of Christ to help us and the word of Christ dwelling in us together so it's not just about our individual kind of response together we live this stuff out in our community and 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 as they as, as this passage describes it, it talks about that's a kind of See that in bold there? I hope you can read it. Can you see that? One another. That's funny. Okay. Sorry. I don't know if something's changed with my colors or not. Anyway. Well, Sorry. So where do we close? A couple of questions, really. Am I listening, then? If God is speaking, if we want to be Bible-based, am I listening? God's word that meets my greatest need as I find him? Am I responding to what he said? What about this invitation to come? Maybe it's to come back, to start feeding again, to start living on God's word again, to start being in community with his people again. Maybe it's starting for the first time afresh with Jesus as king of our lives, Jesus as our champion. Letting this word, this living word of God, come with God's presence by his Holy Spirit into our lives, individually and into our shared life. And that's the second question, which I didn't have a lot of time on, but are we together listening as a community? Are we listening? Are we learning? Are we living God's word? Not in a boring, drudgery way, but in this life-affirming way as the Holy Spirit takes that word. So as we have conversations in a minute after the service, as we talk to each other, we pray with each other, as we talk about our lives together, that God's word by his Holy Spirit is just released in power among us, helping us to be like Jesus as we follow him together our prayer as the band come up so father we pray that we won't just be bible based because it's the good evangelical thing to do we pray lord that we may see that to be bible based to be responsive to you the living God through your living word as your living Holy Spirit makes Jesus all the more real to us, may be part of our individual lives and our life together. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.